yeah, that's that's my life. I'm just a, a girl mom, homeschooling, autism advocate. <laughs> You're listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast that supports parents of children with disabilities by sharing the stories of individuals who have grown up with disabilities and the organizations available to help parents along the way. Stay connected with us by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment if you want to join in on the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Water Prairie Chronicles. We appreciate you joining us today. And our guest today is Fiorella Perkins. Um, I came across Fiorella's Instagram account and thought that you might enjoy getting to know her a little bit and hearing some of the things that she's doing. So Fiorella, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. I love what you're doing here. So I'm just very excited to be here. Like she said, my name is Fiorella Perkins. Um, I am a mom of two girls and currently expecting my third. My oldest, Amelia, is four and a half. She is on the autism spectrum. And my youngest is Sylvia. She is three. And she is neurotypical that I know of as of now. <laughs> I haven't seen any signs. Um, I homeschool them. Um, I'm very much pro um, parent support and having parents really involved in their kids' therapies and, and helping parents do as much as they can at home to support their kids. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my life. I'm just a, a girl mom, homeschooling, autism advocate. Excellent. <laughs> a full-time job as it is. Yes, <laughs> very much so. All right. So I, I want to dig into the early days with, um, now you call your oldest, oldest Emmy, did you? Yes. Is that, so, but her name is, is Amelia? Yes. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so Emmy, when did you first start seeing signs that made you question autism for her or did someone else step in and, and point something out to you? How did that happen? Yeah. So, um, Emmy, uh, was my first obviously. So you don't really know what's going on when you, when it's your first. And she was also the first grandchild on this side. Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't really have much to compare to. Uh, but by the time she was around 18 months old, I noticed she wasn't saying any words. And her cousin, who she has two cousins who are very close in age, were already kind of saying words and doing things. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of strange. Um, she seemed to have just a harder time transitioning activities. And, you know, I was just having a really hard time parenting, honestly. And I just chalked it up to, well, she's almost two, the twos are coming. Mm -hmm. And you know, things like that. I was pregnant with Sylvia at the time, you know, big transition. We were moving. There's a lot going on in our yeah. lives. Um, so actually autism was not in my radar. I chucked it up to like just life and just her being young, um, which I think most parents do, especially first time parents. Um, but I did decide to get her a speech evaluation because she was so behind on speech, I felt like. Um, so I go into the speech evaluation. We do the whole thing. Emmy's bouncing off the walls won't stop moving, <laughs> won't stop throwing things. Um, and the speech therapist said, you know, I really think like she could definitely benefit from speech. And I think that maybe you should go see a neurologist. And I was like, okay, like, what does that have to do? What do you mean? Like, I didn't understand. And she was like, well, you know, maybe sometimes there's other things that you might want to check um, based on like what I'm seeing, because she's not, she used all these big words in the speech world that I had no idea. Um, Basically, like, Emmy wasn't, like, understanding what I was saying to her is what she was saying. Mm, she wasn't, like... Okay. Um, and so I was, like, I started to, like, click in my head. I was, like, are you talking about autism? And she's, like, yeah. 
And that's how I found out that she might be on the spectrum. Um, so that kind of cascaded into the whole diagnosis process. We threw ourselves into, you know, various neurologists just to double check everything. And pretty much everybody that saw her diagnosed her like within two minutes of just watching her wow. beat. Um, it was very obvious to everybody else but me, apparently. <laughs> um, to my defense, I didn't really have much knowledge of autism and I didn't really know anybody with autism or that was autistic. So um, yeah, it was definitely um, shocking, I guess you could say, just because I didn't see it coming. Right. Um, but yeah, that's basically how we found out and how we got her diagnosis. So. All right, so you saw you were sent to a neurologist from the speech specialist, not yeah. a psychologist. Yeah. And did you so from the neurologist did they send you to a psychologist or to anyone else or did they diagnose? They diagnosed actually. Yeah, the neurologist the pediatric neurologist diagnosed. Okay, interesting. Did they run any scans to rule out any other options first? Yeah, they did the um they did the whole neurological, you know, they went through their steps on, right. on the medical side. We did, um, what is it called? I forget what it's called. When they like plug things oh, in the, the head. the EEG. Yeah. We had that done. Um, also, just based on her history and what I was telling them, um, they weren't concerned about seizures or anything like that because okay. I know it's very common to. Um, they did suggest like an MRI. Okay. Uh, but I declined the MRI because she would have to have been completely sedated sedated, yeah. and she was maybe two at the time and I didn't feel comfortable because there was no signs that she needed an MRI. Mm -hmm. um, physically, medically, she's totally healthy. Thank God. Um, we got very lucky in that way. Um, and I did end up going, so I went up to two neurologists because the first one I didn't really trust. She just looked at her in the waiting room and diagnosed her. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to need more than this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went to the second one, did the ADOS test, full workup, everything, answered all my questions. And I was like, okay, if two neurologists are telling me the same thing, it's got to be. It. Right. I also, um, where we're at, I'm in Tampa, Florida, finding psychologists or developmental pediatricians can be a little bit hard. The wait list um, is hard. There's not that many here. Um, right. So I had to wait a whole year before finding a developmental pediatrician. Wow. Um, yeah, the only one that was in the area had recently retired, <laughs> so I literally had to hunt down my pediatrician to be like, if you know of anybody, like, please give me a call, like, as soon as you know, and we got lucky that within the practice that we go to in our pediatrics office, they were just hiring a developmental pediatrician, and I was able to get in, like, right away. <laughs> All right, so this, this is something I haven't heard of before. So what's the difference between a pediatrician and a developmental pediatrician? So they specialize in kids with developmental um, delays basically oh, okay. and, and and primarily autism because that's usually you know such a high rate um, right. but really any kind of developmental delay or disorder that a kid may have they specialize in that okay. so it's kind of a pediatrician but more specialized and they can guide you more a little bit and you know whether you need genetic testing and other things neurology you know those kind of things right oh nice I mean and, and that's that's a building support right there just to know yeah that that they're they're looking more at that part of it and mm -hmm. not just are they are they sitting up when they're supposed to sit up yeah so which and is so also part of that <laughs> and so he confirmed he was the third doctor to confirm her diagnosis and i was like okay i'm just gonna okay. take this <laughs> <laughs> um 
So this was in 2009, no, 2019. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 19 was when we did the speech and neurology. Um, I didn't get to the developmental pediatrician until t late 2020. Okay. So as soon as we were getting services ready, um, the pandemic hit. Right. <laughs> so that was interesting to deal with. <laughs> So were you doing online visits at that point or could you go in person still? So we started to go in person because we started in December and then obviously okay. like in Florida, I guess, the pandemic then hit till March or right. April. <laughs> it hit in different places, different times. Yeah. Um, we were still going in person. So we were doing a speech and OT and we just decided that that's what we were going to focus on first while we kind of learned about autism. We started reading books books written by autistic individuals, especially mm -hmm. just to get a better idea. And um, then they started going to teletherapy towards May, June, okay. and it did not work for us at all. Like, well, that's what I'm thinking. That had to be difficult to try to do. I mean, she was two, two and a half. You yeah. can't get a two and a half year old to understand, to look at a screen, to imitate, to do this. So um, I stopped, actually, I stopped therapy altogether because I was like, bad therapy, no therapy is better than bad therapy right. and it wasn't their fault like they weren't bad therapists it was just the world situation like nobody could predict this happening mm -hmm. and I was just like I'm not gonna waste my time doing this I need to help her in a more efficient way right um so I actually took uh, I don't know if you've heard about Mary Barbera no. um she's ABA specialist and she has online courses to help people who don't have access to therapy at the moment or wherever you oh, are wow um, so I took her online course, um, turning autism around and I started doing sort of a little bit of like table work with Emmy and try to get her to imitate words with me and try to engage her. And I actually got her talking and imitating words at home myself. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I can help her. Like, yeah. yes, I need professional help, but I can do a lot of this myself too. If I educate myself on this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of really gave me the confidence to ultimately homeschool that's a whole other thing but you know that's kind of how I started I was like okay I can actually teach her things myself if I have the right tools right that I mean you're 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 mentioning something that I don't think we've talked about in any of my other interviews on any of the topics that we've done and that's just to remember that parents are always the first teachers for our children and so even if they're in a formal preschool program you were the one who were teaching them first and you're continuing to teach them throughout their childhood. So you're the one constant that's there through all these therapists and teachers and everything else. And so I'm glad that you said that because every parent listening to this needs to know that they do have that ability to be able to teach their child. And and because you see them through thick and thin, through the tired times and the good times yeah. and, and everything else. And that's something that I'm like specifically passionate about is giving parents the confidence to, you know what, yes, lean on professionals because they obviously have the tools to help you but ultimately it's going to come down to what you do and and how much work you put into your child right. and having them succeed and i don't think i would have realized this unless the pandemic hit honestly because i was kind of thrown into it resources were taken away from me situation you know family members were like we couldn't see each other right um, and i was like i i gotta figure this out like i have an autistic two-year-old and a six-month-old at home like i gotta figure this out some way myself you know right. um right. so it kind of was a time for me of a lot of growth and a lot of research and a lot of <laughs> praying and patience, but um, I'm very thankful for that time. I'm, I'm just picturing you trying to keep 
a neurotypical two-year-old in front of a computer screen to do an evaluation with a therapist, much less, I mean, even my son at that age, there's no way he was going to sit still long enough (laughs) to stay focused for a therapy session. These therapists, God bless them, they tried so everything. And they told me, they were like, this is all we can do, you know? And some people were going in person. And at the time, I just didn't feel comfortable because I did have such a young baby at With home baby, and we right. still didn't know anything about this virus at the time and I was like I just can't risk it right now you know like I need to figure out what the heck is going on right. first <laughs> so we're just gonna stay at home until we know what's going on um so which I know a lot of people felt that way but um but yeah that's kind of how my journey started unfortunately it was with the pandemic but like fortunately it worked out because it taught me a lot and it it made me really look into resources for myself to use at home so I'm I'm impressed with how you handle it because you 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 could have taken a woe is me approach and just you know we 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 can't do anything and then Emmy's sitting there waiting for development until someone can figure this out for her, but yeah. instead you you embraced it you you looked at what the problem was and and took took another step yeah. so now you're in a position to help not only your family but others beyond you and through yeah. this conversation even today spreading this on to other people so so I, I applaud you for that 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 isn't the easy path to always take but um but no but, I feel like I was thrown into it for a reason you know like exactly I'm just gonna do my best <laughs> <laughs> so now now that the pandemic is calming down mm-hmm. I can't say that it's over because we have no idea where, where we're heading with all this and yeah. um but things are better than they were a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. How, um, like, are you plugging into resources now or what, what, yeah, what, so what are you doing we were, now? We were pretty much that 2020 year. We were um, without any therapy, pretty much by my own choice. Cause I was like, the resources that are available to me, I don't feel are up for what she needs and what I should be paying out of my insurance, you know, things like that. Right. It's not that there weren't, people were still going and doing ABA even and everything like that. Um, I personally just did not feel comfortable doing that. Um, and so, and she was thriving, like she was starting to like repeat words and I was trying to get, you know, I got her pretty far, I wanna say, for right. a two year old by myself. Um, and then I reached a point by the end of 2020 where like I got stuck and I was like, I don't know how else to take her further. I didn't have the tools. Um, so I was like, okay, let's, let's look into ABA. And it wasn't, so this was like a year after diagnosis that I even okay. started at ABA. Um, I was just very hesitant about it. Um, I didn't really know that much about it. Um, but through taking Mary Barbera's course, she does have ABA background. Like you're basically doing ABA techniques at home. It kind of taught me what they would eventually be doing in the clinics. So I felt way more comfortable with right. the whole situation. And Emmy was also like pre-prepared for it. like. When I went into the ABA clinic and they did an evaluation, and I, I came with a binder. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I came with a binder of all, tracking all of her progress because I would take monthly progress Good. things of like words that she had said, behavior that was happening, changes. Like I was tracking behavior even before she was in ABA. Like I and I knew all these ABA terms from this course right. that I take, <laughs> and they were like so confused. They're like. <laughs> I thought you said she wasn't in ABA and I was like she wasn't I was like at home and they were like who are you like what are you doing (laughs) so I just literally gave them an entire binder of everything that I had done for that year and they were like okay and so Emmy um luckily transitioned really well into ABA she understood like 
a lot of like the techniques and things that they were using, reinforcements and things like that. Um, and it's not like she was verbal. She was repeating words, but she wasn't right. like um, independently saying words. I guess pre-verbal. I don't know. There's well, so many. Those who are listening who aren't familiar with, with what we're talking about, that is a marker for autism from what I'm understanding is that you can have that parroting type of talk but that initiating conversation is the piece that's that that isn't connecting the hardest to kind right. of connect yes um and so even though she can physically pronounce words she doesn't have any kind of um other diagnosis besides autism but um she can physically say any words and she'll repeat them so she started repeating words through like flashcards and she started identifying like, oh that's a tiger that's a lion whatever right. Um, but she wasn't, it wasn't like I could ask her a question and she would answer me, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, she still wasn't answering to her name. She was still eloping. Um, she was still mouthing, like putting everything in her mouth a lot. So there was right. a lot of other things that I just like, I needed help. I can't do this on my own. Um, so we got into ABA and um, she started, her words went like double within like two months of wow. being ABA. This is without speech still. Right. Um, I couldn't find a speech therapist place that I really wanted to go to I'm very picky <laughs> I'm so picky I'm like <laughs> I don't know it's just who I am this this this, this is your child so you, you do have I'm, a right to be I'm picky probably like totally overreacting about the whole thing I know I'm super picky but like no if I'm not feeling it we're not doing it that's right. just my, like that's how we do things in, in our family um and so we we're really lucky to find this ABA place and she's been there for like a year and a half now. Nice. Wait, and, and so, so you're having a positive experience with ABA. There's been mm -hmm. so much controversy, whether it's good, whether it's bad. And I'm starting to think from, as I'm talking to different people that it's going to depend on the practice that you go into and how that therapist is applying it. Cause uh -huh. in concept to me, it sounds like a great, a great idea. Um, I think it depends on the therapist, the clinic, but also the child. Okay. You really tap into your own child. What? How they thrive? Do they thrive on routine? Do they like to be challenged? Do oh, they yeah. respond well to other adults? Do they feel safer on other adults? Like, you know what I mean? It it really yeah. really depends on the child. Um, Emmy may be nonverbal. Well, she, I can't say she's nonverbal right now because she's verbal. But at the time, she was considered nonverbal. Right. Even though she was nonverbal, no one's gonna mess with her. She's not gonna <laughs> do something that she doesn't want to do. Like she can take care of herself. I don't know how, right. but that girl can take care of herself. <laughs> She'll let you know some one way or another. I'm not doing this. This is not okay. And there's nothing you can make me. Right. You know. <laughs> so, now, does um, she does she act out to resist it, or is she quiet? How how does she very much act out? Okay. Very much. Um, so because because my daughter at at three, we used to call her the well her her teacher used to say she would she would make a great war. Um, prisoner because she would just sit there stoically and not respond <laughs> and oh so God. it was it, it was the only thing she was able to control <laughs> so, that's a great tactic <laughs> so she, and, and it would just be a simple thing that she just didn't like the choice you were giving her yeah and just, but she wasn't going to choose either of them because they're going to engage <laughs> that's right so. that's like so mature honestly <laughs> well she was three so. that's pretty impressive <laughs> no emmy will definitely uh voice her opinion you know, screaming, crying, everything. Um, right. But she's come a long way since then. Um, 
and I, I created a bond be, between me and the therapist as well. And so Good. I knew that they, a very big deal for me was that they believed in her potential and they saw her for who she was and weren't trying to change her essence, if that makes sense. It's right. like, see her strength and play to her strengths. And that's why I decided to stay with this ABA place, basically. That it, it does, it sounds like it's it's a good fit. And the fact that you've educated yourself some before you even got there yeah, would help you know that. that a red flag would go off if it wasn't a good fit for you. So exactly. I, th- I think that's good. The um, I, I think that's that's a big thing. A lot of times you have to trust your mom gut to know mm-hmm. that this isn't right. Like you're saying for your daughter, you're going to watch her response. You know, yeah. If she if she was sending up red flags all over the place, then maybe the, maybe another one is the way to look and to, to find a better fit. Or, or like yeah. you were saying with your first neurologist, you weren't you, you were being diagnosed in the waiting room. But mm-hmm. a comment that you made when you said you went to the second one was that they answered your questions. Mm-hmm. That's that's important. You need to be able to ask these questions, have communication, even though you're not the direct patient, you're the parent that's representing that patient. So, um, And I always tell parents this, follow your gut. If something doesn't feel right, go with that gut yeah. feeling. And if something's not working, change it. Nothing is permanent. No therapist is permanent. No, no, no clinic is permanent. You always have the choice to change if it's not right for your child. Well, and in doing these interviews, our goal is to to not tell you how to like like everyone who's listening who has a young child who's just being diagnosed with autism. We're not expecting them to listen to our conversation today and to do exactly what you're doing. Our no. goal is to give you ideas of what other people have done that have worked for them, mm-hmm. and then that'll give you some ideas of where to start. And then you're going to find your place as you go through this because yeah. no two children, no two parents are going to be exactly the same. But um, but I feel like by hearing these stories, I know for me as a mom, every time I could latch on to someone who had any idea of what I might be going through, it, it helped encourage me because because oh, yeah. just I hearing this podcast them. when yeah. Emmy was diagnosed. <laughs> I mean, all, the things, all these things that I have access to now because of my platform, I'm like, wow, I wish I had this. And that's why I right. am a part of it. And that's why I want to be joining these conversations because it's like, I wish I had this just you know, two years ago, not that long ago. Right, exactly. So I think it's very important. We had, we had the opportunity as Emily was getting older to be involved in different groups. Um, There was a sport group that she was part of and all. And on the surface, it looked like it was a good recreation group for the children. But Mm -hmm. the biggest value was for us as parents sitting on the bleachers, talking to each other and just hearing each other's stories um, as adults who had similar situations would come in we could pick their brain on how things were when they were younger and the next stage up, like when, when, when you were in high school, how, 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 how did you do this? Or, you know, <laughs> and, like therapy and for parents. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, it really is. And sometimes you just need to talk to someone who understands <laughs> and that's, yeah, you know, it may not change anything you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so it, of course we're, we're going to get into that in, in our next episode with you. But <laughs> Yeah. I can talk about that for yeah. a long time. <laughs> All right. So, um, so now, so you have the ABA therapy. Did you ever plug into speech? Um, so we did ABA for a year and a half. And then during that year, I also enrolled her in hippotherapy, which is with horses. Yes. Um, so Emmy has had a love for horses since she was a baby. She was always attracted to horse uh, figures, horse animals, horse pictures, anything that had a horse on it, she would grab. I probably have like 30 plastic horses in my house. Wow. She <laughs> up and, yeah. 
So um, my parents were found a place. And so we worked with a speech therapist through the hippotherapy. And so she would do speech while on the horse, while working on the horse, working on the farm. Oh, yeah. She had to work with some goats, ride some tractors, do some things like that. And so it was an environment that really motivated her. So we did that also for a year. Nice. So is she is she doing anything with the horses now? We stopped um, a few months ago because um, she kind of lost interest in riding the horse and it got very hot here in Florida, like yeah. extremely hot. <laughs> and I think her sensory issues started to kick in a little bit more this year where she was like, this is too hot physically. Right. She couldn't concentrate between the heat and the horse and having demands on her. Um, so we might try it later when it gets, when the weather gets better. Right, right. right. Which, <laughs> so which for is... now she's, um, she's an ABA and we um, we're on the wait list for a new speech and we're looking into that next month. Okay. So one piece that I, um, and I, I can hear the kids in the background. If you need to take care of anything, please, please, please do. <laughs> My mom and husband are here. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but yes, you might hear kids screaming in the background because they're it, at home with me all the time. It, it, it is it is a sign of life in a family. I'm totally supportive of that. So, <laughs> um, so you've mentioned homeschooling a couple of times. Now, I know with my daughter especially, she transitioned from home visits at three to the local public school where they had a like a resource center for children mm -hmm. with special needs that they all went together, and that's where the funding was mm -hmm. to to provide the specialists that she needed. Since you're not in the public school setting, are there any public supports that you can use to help funding with the therapist that she's needing, or is this all coming out of your own insurance? Um, well, I think because we also started this journey during the pandemic, um, I didn't really lean into public support at the time because a lot of things closed down or they couldn't do home visits at the time and things like that. So I think that kind of set our journey a little bit differently from, from the beginning. Obviously, those things are now available since then and things like that, but she's outgrown the little early steps right. you know, process and things like that. And it would take a very long time. It's a very long wait list. And you kind of, um, from my opinion, you kind of leave it in their hands about who comes and what happens, and you just kind of have to trust them a lot. And I, if you can't tell by talking to me, I'm very picky. <laughs> and I felt like that I needed to be more in control about who is around my child. And so we do rely more on insurance, like out of pocket type of things. Right. Uh, luckily, we have our parents who help us out, and we do have insurance. Obviously, there's a copay for everything. <laughs> um, but I really relied on me working with her at home mostly, which also lowered the cost. We never True. do full-time ABA, full-time anything. Um, so I managed the cost in that way uh, by doing a lot of it myself. Thankfully, Emmy, the way that her autism presents in herself, I am able to do that. I know a lot of parents that her autism is different and they really do you know, need that extra help. So right. just in our case, this is, this is how it worked out. Um, and because I could prove myself that I could help her and she has improved, I didn't feel the need to reach out as much. Okay, um, yeah. The only thing that we do have right now is we got approved for a grant that is in Florida. It's called Step Up for Kids. And so if you homeschool your kids and you have a special or um, disability or special needs, you can be awarded a grant um, that will help pay for therapies, okay. schooling, curriculums, things like that. Um, so that's very recent. We haven't even tapped into those funds yet because they're still paperwork. You know, it's all right. paperwork right. time. Um, but that's pretty much the only thing that we've really tapped into for now. 
I know in North Carolina, where I am, there's there's a grant like that too. Very limited numbers that are awarded each each year, but there there is one. So I wonder if all states have that. Um, so if you're listening from different areas, you may want to look into that as a possibility for um, for for your state, and may need to call maybe the ARC in your area or someone that may have that, or an Easter Seals, someone mm -hmm. who who may know what's what's available to you. Mm -hmm. um, it's always nice to kind of know where to start looking for funding options. Yeah. The um, speaking of funding, though, in Florida, I know, I know most states have some type of Medicaid mm -hmm. um, wait list that you have to get into. Is Florida one of those? Um, yes, and we did try to apply for Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare, those types of things. Unfortunately, we're in that bracket where we make too much to qualify, but not enough to actually afford it, <laughs> like right in the middle, because um, it is income-based. Right. Um, so it's not like we make a ton. Obviously, we still need financial help, but we make too much for their kind of bracket kind of thing. So we didn't qualify for those things. Does your daughter use any adaptive technology now? Um, so for the past few years, we've been using PEX or picture, you know, making, printing out pictures and visuals to help her. Um, recently this year, we've um, tapped into different resources and devices. Um, because of this funding for this grant that I got, I am going to look into an AAC device because I feel like now she's at an age. She's four and a half. She's savvy with tablets. She um, has more speech in her and she's more eager to communicate. So I think that now she might be a little bit more ready, whereas before I don't right. think she was developmentally ready for that kind of communication. Um, so it's something that we're looking into um, this year for sure. Now, an AC device is that using um, it's it's using the pictorial images for words. Is that correct? Correct. And so, so she'd be able to put it into a, sentences. Yeah. Usually, what parents do is they buy like an iPad of some sort, and they they download a program that you buy, and then you have the help of a speech therapist or speech pathologist that will help you kind of introduce that device slowly to the child. Okay. So, because what I've seen of that, it. I don't, I don't know if you did this with Sylvia or if you tried it with Emmy. Um, with Emily, we did baby sign. And mm -hmm. um, and so before she had words, she could communicate what she wanted to say to us. And mm -hmm. um, and, and it was it was cute, but it, it helped her language develop it a little bit yeah. faster, I think. And then yeah. she had a phase where she went through where she continued to sign, but she was also using the words with it. Mm -hmm. And I could see something like this maybe being the same way with a child if they've learned to communicate because they know what they want to say, but they don't have the tools yet to really say it to you, mm -hmm. they can use this machine to help them. But then as they start learning the language more too, mm -hmm. they can start transitioning to using both or what have you. It, it'll be interesting to see to see how it, yeah, exactly. how it goes. And it we seems like it's very in, in, individual child to child. Yeah. And we did use a uh, sign with Emmy when she was younger. She knew more, you know, things like right. that, very basic things. More was like her favorite one. More, really the only more one that and, and all done. All done. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the two that she still yeah. goes like this when she says all yeah. done. Um, she's pretty much all done with everything all the time. Right. But. <laughs> um, I wish I would have had done it more. Honestly, I think it would have helped her a lot more. I didn't really understand the benefits of it at the time, but it is very right. similar to what you're saying, like sign to AAC where like, I think for um, neurodiverse kids, they thrive on visual, a lot of visual and a lot of them take to technology. Oh, okay. uh, very easily. 
Um, and so where sign is very physical, and so you have to connect your body to your brain and you have to like, you know, form certain things that might be complicated for some kids on the spectrum to right. really make connection and coordinate. But when you're looking at a tablet or a device and you can physically, you know, see the picture that makes the connection easier in their brain. I'm thinking too, that with sign, the recipient of the language has to know the sign too. Yes. Where with the technology, they're either able to hear it if it's spoken for them or yeah. if it's just a, a picture that they're using, yeah. they can at least so see what it is. We'll have both the picture and it will say the word. So okay. once they click the picture, the device will say it out loud. So anybody can understand. Right. So if someone's in the home visiting or if you're with a friend, yep. they're going to understand what she's saying as well, yep. which encourages more language development. So yes. nice. The, um, so, so that's, that's going on now. How does, how, how do the girls interact with each other? Do they, do they find ways that they're able to communicate with each other? Yeah. So because I'm at home with them a lot and I homeschool, you know, people think homeschooling as more of academic. I think of it more as like, um, family oriented life skill kind of homeschooling, yeah. especially at this young age. That's what I'm really, really focusing on. Um, to me, it doesn't really matter when they can learn to add. I really want them to have more personal values and life skills early on. So mm -hmm. my homeschooling is more of that right now. And so a lot of that is that sister interaction. I spend a lot of time cultivating that relationship between the two of them. Um, Sylvia was an early talker. She talked a lot and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, I was not used to that. Um, so she helps Emmy a lot. Um, she can kind of figure things out why Emmy's upset before I even can. Mm -hmm. And she'll go out of her way to help her. She knows how to use pegs. She knows how to use a talker. She's like, where's Emmy's talker? Which is what we call her <laughs> AAC device. Right. Um, so she's very, very, uh, she's only, she's about to turn three and she knows all of this. Um, and so the way that I cultivate it, things like that is I, I did it through play, a lot of play, um, throwing a ball together. Let's go run together. Right. Let's just do everything together. Like, even if you don't want to be with each other, we're going to be together and we're going to figure this out. You have to be with your sister all the time. Right. <laughs> so <I think> that <laughs> has helped Emmy a lot and helped Sylvia a lot. Um, and so I'll do little things where like, Sylvia will want a popsicle or a snack. And I say, okay, well, why don't you ask Emmy if she wants one? And right. she oh, hey, do you want one? And so Emmy doesn't answer. But then Sylvia go, I think she said yes. I yeah. think she wants one. And so, okay, we'll go bring one to Emmy. And so she'll bring, okay, one for Emmy, one for Sylvia. And she'll walk over to her and she'll hold it up. And then she'll be like, Emmy, say popsicle. <laughs> and she'll hold it back. She'll hold it back until Emmy says the word. <laughs> so she's a speech therapist. Yeah, I was going to say, she, she has a built-in <laughs> therapist here. <laughs> So, um, and then Emmy will actually say it. And then oh, nice. nice. And things like that. So through like really preferred items, preferred snacks, preferred activities is how I build that bond. They actually right. share a room now and do really well. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, so, they definitely have that common sister relationship where they're just like fighting all the time and then they love each other. Of course. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, you, you, you have two already. You have one on the way. Mm -hmm. From the experience that you've had of the last few years, what advice would you give to other parents that are just starting this journey now, that they have that 18-month-old and mm -hmm. they're waiting on that first neurologist appointment or psychologist, whoever they've been sent to, 
and they have all yeah. these questions about is there something going on or not what 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 would you say to that parent now to um to pass on your 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 years of wisdom now <laughs> not too many years, i know <laughs> that's, that's, that's why i'm, 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 I'm laughing it's, it's just, just a couple years but but yeah, a lot you learn a lot quickly yes <laughs> Um, I would say tap into a uh, community first, tap in with other parents, um, whether it's like a Facebook group or other people in the neurologist office, ask them what they're doing, like anywhere that you need to go, reach out. There's so many resources online, especially through social media right now. Um, you can reach out to me even, and I can connect you with people. Um, and I think that is vital because as much as professionals know so much about what they do there's nothing like talking to a parent and getting their input and getting their advice and their reassurance of like what mm -hmm. you should do or or you know any kind of like advice is is great from a parent i think is they're just like a wealth of knowledge way more than any doctor and so i would say definitely do your due diligence um diagnosis wise and make sure you you know your resources in your area you know all of that but once you get over that, make sure you definitely tap into a community because that's going to take you further in life with your child. A doctor can only take you so far. And um, also just read a lot about autism. There's so many books, so many books written by autistic people and that will help you so much. I know a book that I read, Uniquely Human, it like solidified and like my journey with autism and it made me look at Emmy in a certain way that I think helped me a lot with coping about what her future would be and, and what autism really is. Um, so definitely just like educate yourself and find your community is what I would say is vital. Would you say that the diagnosis of autism is a scary diagnosis at your point right now looking at it? Where I am right now? Mm -hmm. No. Good. I'm not I... overwhelmed by it. I'm not scared about it. Um, I think I think young parents need to hear that, that yeah. it, the the unknown is going to be okay. Told me this two years ago. I would have been like, no way. <laughs> yeah. And it's only been like she's only four and a half. She was diagnosed. She was almost two. She was like twenty two months when she was diagnosed. So I'm really not that into it. And it's this is how I'm speaking about it. So that right is a lot. Yeah. When and you're at a stage of life that is difficult for any parent at this yeah. age. And so for you to say that in the midst of having a three-year-old and a four and a half year old that yeah. that that's speaking a lot but i think i think newly diagnosed families need to hear that that it is going to be okay easy. i'm not going to say it's easy <laughs> I'm not. Well, parenting in general isn't easy there yeah. i'm not telling like it's all rainbows and, and sprinkles over here right <laughs> um it's doable you can do it it's gonna be okay and it does get better it's slowly I mean, six months it makes a huge difference for any kid, uh, young kid, you know, whether they're on the spectrum or not. Yeah. So you had mentioned that that Emmy's liked horses from from way back, and way 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 back a, a year or two ago. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. She's only four. but a lifetime. <laughs> Pretty much all her life. She exactly. <laughs> um, and that she's responding well to the technology. What are some of the other things that she enjoys doing? I think I've seen on your Instagram, she's in the pool a lot. Oh my gosh, that girl was a fish. I think she was a fish in another life. I don't yeah. even know. She has been, and now looking back, it's funny because once you get a diagnosis and you look back, you're like, everything makes sense. Yeah. Like this kid was just drawn to water 
when she was like two months old while her cousins who were her same age were like scared of water right which most kids are kind of like i'm not going to this place where there's a bunch of water i don't know what's going on and emmy was just like jumping into it freely no no fear um but yeah she is a, a water kid through and through um and so it's it's funny because once you tap into these things of like what your child really loves where they thrive what kind of environment they thrive you can tap into that to help um with their speech or with their motor skills or with whatever so a lot of times we'll be in the pool and we'll do a lot of speech her and i oh because yeah. she's so motivated and her body's so regulated like why not you know and then she'll be in the pool and i'll just like be reading a book to her or something like that or we'll be playing a game or um you know we'll talk we'll talk to each other you know make her practice some new words and she doesn't know that we're working right she's right. just like it's fun we're in the pool and and so i've also learned to to find the environments that make her thrive best and so water is 100 percent emmy yeah. all the way <laughs> thankfully i live in florida she can go in the pool year round pretty right. Much right. <laughs> all right so we need to wrap up this section because we have some more to talk about we're, we're gonna get into that for the next episode mm -hmm. but if anyone wants to get in touch with you to talk about um you know getting started with with the homeschooling and just working on those those skills at home um mm -hmm with your experiences or any advice that you may have of where, where they can try next if they're not finding what they need. How's yeah. the best way for them to get in touch with you? I think definitely my Instagram account. Yeah. Um, it's at Fiorella underscore Perkins. Okay. And so. you can DM me. I will DM back right away. I, that's pretty much what I do all day is, is respond to parents all day because if I, I was on the other end, trying to reach out to parents and they were not messaging me back. <laughs> so I make sure to message people back and I will get in touch with you. I'll email you. I'll give you my private phone number. Like this is what I do now. Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely the best way to, to contact me. We'll put that in the show notes. So if you're listening to the podcast, you should be able to see it in the notes there. If you're watching on YouTube, check in the description below. Um, and then we'll also put it on the resource page on the website. So, um, so you'll be able to find it if, as, as, as long as you're looking for it there. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to share so much with us today. Um, I'm excited about what our listeners are able to hear here and to learn more about it. And I'm hoping that some of them will contact you directly to 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 powwow yeah. a little bit with some ideas for their own children. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This podcast is made possible by support from our listeners. We want to give a shout out to our super fan, Praveen S. If you want to help offset the cost of producing the Water Prairie Chronicles, become a supporter at buymeacoffee.com slash waterprairie. Help us reach more listeners by leaving a five-star review. We appreciate your support. You've been listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles. Any resources mentioned during this episode will be posted in the description. If you're interested in joining us as a guest, contact us through the links in the description below. Be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. We appreciate your support as we build this resource. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week for a new episode.